Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We've been in this series, according to Peter, and it's not, it's not uncommon uh, for us to walk verse by verse through Scripture. I think God's Word has a lot to tell us if we'll take the time and walk through that. Um, but this particular passage has brought me to word by word, not just verse by verse. Um, so we're going we're gonna to camp here for a little bit. There's a lot of nuggets here in 2 Peter um, that I, that I want to walk us through. Peter's second letter to the church Um, He's learned some things after walking with Jesus for three years and the Holy Spirit for over 30 years, and now he's written the second letter to the church. We're still in chapter one. Um, It's good. I can summarize lots of what we've covered already with this one thought, and here it is. Salvation is a free gift, but maturity takes effort. Salvation is a free gift, but maturity takes effort. I say something very similar to my kids uh, as as we're, we're raising the five children that we have, I tell them this. I said, age happens with time. You don't have to do anything to get older, right? But maturity happens with effort. Dad, am I old enough to do that? That's not the question. Are you mature enough to do that? That's the question. Age comes with time, but maturity comes with effort. And we see here in this letter, we've been given this divine nature but we have to learn how to practice walking in it. It's not like it comes natural to us. We spoke last week about vices and vices, right? V-I-S-E-S, the machine that squeezes things, and then vices, the addictive behavior that can squeeze us as well. I said this, if you remember, different letter, same grip. Different letter, same grip. They squeeze you, they bend you, and they deform you. And Peter was helping us see that there's a way to walk in this world as a Christian that keeps the vices of life from causing you to trip up over and over and over again. So that's what we're unpacking. Peter brings us to a passage I'm going to share with us. It's going to, we're going to spend the bulk of our time here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 10. I know many of you have been reading this uh, throughout the week. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Here's what he's saying. We can grow to be like Jesus, right? Having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Those are the vices that we spoke about this last week. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, Knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Look at this. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these Qualities. Pause for just a second. It doesn't say here that if you lack these qualities, you're not going to heaven. 
Salvation is provided to us when we trust in Jesus. That's not the conversation. The conversation is how do we live here on earth until we get there. Here's what it says. If these, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, you'll be tripping over the same things over and over again, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You'll never fall. Last week was virtue, moral excellence. It was godly character. This week, the word is knowledge. That's what we're covering today. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Question for you today, why put knowledge on this list? Why put knowledge on this list? How, how can what I know help me live a successful Christian life? Now, my experience with knowledge from a young age was a lot more academic than it was anything else. I was, I was a good student in school. I, I understood. I could read things. I could comprehend things well. Um, my friends would say, oh, you're the smart one, right? What, what did you make on the test? And, and I always, it, academics came very, very easy to me. Listen, I was smart, but I wasn't wise. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. Some of us are like, yeah, I wasn't very good in, in, in school, but I was, I was wise in life. Listen, this, it's very important. You need to understand what good is it to know something if it doesn't change the way you live? There's a lot of people that spend a lot of time. We're going to talk about it today, but here's the big thought. What good is it to know something if it doesn't change the way you live, if it doesn't impact the decisions you make on an ongoing basis. You need that life application knowledge, right, where I'm learning something that changes the way I live. I was this way, and then I learned something, and I changed as a result of what I learned. That's what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about education. He's talking about knowledge, and I think it's easy to, to confuse the two. Uh, what he's talking about is so much bigger than book knowledge. And if I, if I do a good job today, you'll know the difference between the two. And I think you'll be able to see why Peter put it in this list. It's very, very important. You need to understand that the Greek culture of the day was renowned for its intellect and its reasoning skills. How I many you remember, right? Early Greek culture, renowned. Some of the best thinkers that the world has ever seen in that time. They were also renowned for debauchery and sin and, and lustful things and all the stuff that their society has come to know of as well. So right then and there, we prove that it's possible to be really, really smart and really, really lost at the same time. Really, really smart and really, really lost. And here's, here's the problem that Peter was facing. The Christians of Peter's time had tried to maintain this compromise with the world. Right, they were trying to compromise where one could involve themselves in all the pleasures of sin and still claim to be a Christian. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Maybe a society you know of. Not, not your society, right, but just a society that you know as, as a whole. Right? We're, we're in the club on Saturday night, and then we're in the church on Sunday morning. Curl your toes up just a little bit. i got a few more of these. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not bothering anybody else when I click on that website. Um, uh, what, what I do in my time is my business. That's what Peter was facing. That's, as he's talking about this. You've got this whole society that thinks I can say I know God, but be doing other things. There's a, there's a separation between what I know and how I live, and they're trying to draw this compromise between the two. I'd say it this way. Here's the lie. Knowing God is separated from living for God. 
That's what they're trying to convince you, that, that I can know God and still live differently. Head and heart are separated. That's not this kind of knowledge that Peter's talking about here. As we're going to see, that kind of knowledge that Peter's referring to will change the way you live, not just what you know. So proud of our boys. Uh, Katie and a Christian school, the football team, um, beat a big, big opponent uh, this week. And uh, they, they did good. They did really, really good. I was, I was, I was so proud of them. Uh, it, it made me think about it preparing for this message. Um, Peter has his hands on the enemy's playbook. And he's teaching us how to push back against the things that trip us up over and over again in life. Last week, one of the ways we saw that the enemy tries to trip us up is to get us stuck in vices that affect our moral character. But Peter doesn't stop there. And this week, we're going to turn all the way back. We're going to learn another tool that the enemy has, another tip from his playbook Peter helps us with. And literally, it is the oldest trick in the book. You heard that phrase before? I'm telling you, it is literally the oldest trick in the book. We're going to turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden to see that virtue alone isn't sufficient for making informed ethical decisions about how to live your life. What are you talking about, Pastor Don? Let me tell you, godly character without godly knowledge is naive and gullible. Having all the right parts, but no idea how to put them together. That's how Eve was tripped up. That's what the enemy did with her. He didn't come after her about her character, did he? No, he came after her differently. Let's look at this. When, When presenting Eve with an opportunity to eat the forbidden fruit, do you remember what Satan said? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I'll put it on the screen for you. He said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Are you sure that that's what he he said? And listen, it still happens today. Our enemy comes after those who were naive, scripturally uninformed, hoping to present them a wrong idea of who God is or what God is like. And according to Peter, look at this. The right kind of knowledge will prevent you from believing the enemy's lies, allowing you to live in this world and not be of this world. Big distinction. Big distinction. It's possible. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But it is possible to be a Christian and know things about Christ that allow you to live differently in this world. Many of you get the phone calls from the people who aren't living for God. And when the world gets upside down and they get shaky, what do they do? They reach out to the most solid person they know. They reach out to a Christian. Some of you, you don't realize that's why they're calling you. They're calling you because they see that you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And they haven't figured out how to make the distinction between the two. Now listen, our world today has no shortage of knowledge, does it? No. There are more books than ever before, more websites than ever before. You can chat with artificial intelligence and get knowledge that way. And thanks to social media, you can even chat with some not-so-intelligent individuals as well. Right? You got artificial intelligence and then think they're intelligence. Um, you, both of those, there's no, there's no shortage of knowledge. But how many of you realizing head knowledge alone is not enough? I'll prove it to you. Why do good, godly people still make such immature decisions early on in their spiritual journey? I'll tell you. Academic knowledge doesn't produce spiritual maturity. It doesn't happen. Peter knows that. You can can know something and not understand it. Application knowledge will change the way you live 
What good is knowing something if it doesn't impact the way you live? Had a conversation once with a guy, and, and, and I think he meant well, but he was trying to size me up a little bit. Like, you know, man, I don't, I'm not sure if you can be my pastor unless you know more of the Bible than I do. Or what do you think about this? And he was talking about, you know, there's a lot in this book. Some of it theologians have been parsing over and arguing about for centuries. And, and I think he was trying to figure out where I'm at. I said, listen, man, I, I'm still trying to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. And when it says fathers don't exacerbate their children, if I can just get those two down, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to move on to some of those other things. But for right now, I'm just going to start with those two. How about you? Let's get back to the enemy's playbook for a second. The enemy didn't find a flaw in Eve's character to exploit. The flaw was in her knowledge. Eve didn't understand that the enemy was actually exploiting her emotions. What was he trying to get her to feel? Oh, he's holding out on you. God's, God's reserving something for himself that, that he doesn't want to give to you. You're, you're missing the opportunity to be like God. Can I help you? It's the same play today. It's the same play today. The enemy is trying to exploit your lack of knowledge by elevating your emotions. Don't believe me? We're, we're being taught to ask, how will it make me feel instead of, is it true? Burger King, BK, have it your way. It's catchy, but it's going to send you down the wrong path. It will. You don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Your way is not. There's a reason why scripture says your thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts. Your way is so much better than my way. BK, and I'm not trying to rhyme, doesn't have it figured out, right? Let's listen. listen. We, it's creeped into the church, too. we got to be careful. When we, when we come to church, not to learn theological truth, but to get an emotional high. Oh, I don't miss worship. But as soon as he says, let's bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm out. Right? It's, it's, it's tough. When, when you spend more time in deep emotional worship music than you do deep in studying your Bible. Man, worship songs are even being written, y'all, that are played on Christian radio that aren't completely biblically accurate. There was a big trend in Christian music a while back. It was Jesus is my boyfriend. I mean, nobody said that, but that's what it was like. No, no, he's your God. He's your Lord. I want you to be in love with Jesus, but I don't want you to, to be all mushy-mushy about it to the point where you're bending the words of this truth. God is to be respected and honored. He has a standard for the way that you live. It leads us to believe that how I feel is more important than what is true. And I'm going to tell you, pastors aren't exempt from this either. And it's hard. There's a lot of pressure. You know, society wants to pressure pastors as well. Our culture wants to train me to ask this question as I prepare to preach to you each week. Here's the question. Will this content divide people? Will what I say offend someone? And what I should be asking is, is what I'm saying true and biblically accurate? I shouldn't have to worry about dividing people. I shouldn't have to worry about offending someone. I mean, I give you some heads up to curl your toes under the pew a, a, a little bit, right? Listen, how can I help you grow to be like Christ? How can I help you push against the pressures of this world? How can I help you live the way that you're supposed to live if I don't know the truth of God's word? 
I have to spend more time in this book than I spend on this stage or you're not getting the truth that God has for you. Listen, I want you to know, it should be obvious, and I'll say this in case you're, in case you're, you're missing me, it should be obvious that people can't put into practice truths that they don't know. We've got to first gain knowledge of the principles of God's word before we can live them out. That nobody's asking you to know something that you don't know, but we are asking you to learn something that you don't know. And I think that's why Peter has this in the list. And let me, let me speak to those new to Christianity just for a second. You're not expected to already know truth, but you are expected to work at your relationship with God. You're supposed to work as you mature. And if you don't, Scripture says you're going to remain childish in your faith. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. In other words, there are people in your life that will equip you as a Christian for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain a unity of the faith and of the what? Knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. That's the same divine nature that Peter's talking about. Look at this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What's the world going to come up with next to try to tell us that we're not doing it right, that we need to do things differently, or this way is the better way and all that. How many of you know somebody? They're, they're like this one day and then down like this the next day and like this the next day and down like this the next day. It's kind of exhausting being on that roller coaster, isn't it? God's plan for your life is to have a maturity that your life looks like this. Yeah, it may have some ups and downs, but overall, you're trending more and more mature. How do we get there? Verse 15 tells us, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, let me give you an example of this truth in love. Society will tell you today, tries to tell me all the time, tries to tell us that it would come, when it comes to our sexuality and our gender, there only, you only have two options. You only have two options. Either, either you can hate me or you can affirm me. That's tough because I know some people that are struggling. And when I'm presented these two options, you can, you can hate me or you can affirm me. If you don't affirm me, you're hating me. I, I got a problem with that because here's the truth. This book says that I can't do either one of those. I can't affirm you and I can't hate you either. This book tells me I can't do it. I have to live in a world where I'm prepared to tell people that I'm not prepared to rewrite this book in order to engage with what you're walking through right now in your life. I, listen, I love you. I want to help you. I want to stay so close to you that, that you know there is a God in this book that has made a way for you not to walk and struggle with those things. But you've got to understand, here's the deception. Disagreement doesn't mean hate. Agreement doesn't mean love. I can love you and still disagree with you. Listen, it doesn't just go for homosexuality or transgender issues. This goes to heterosexual couples as well. I love you, but it's sin to be in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. 
God's standard for your life is so much better and so much bigger than what you're settling for right now. It is possible to live in this world and not be of this world, but somebody in your life needs to love you enough to tell you that's not helping you. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know there is a plethora of reasons why you found yourself in that situation. But I've also been doing this long enough to know it's not going to get any better until you get yourself up underneath this book and start doing it. Listen, that's how you love somebody. And listen, if that's you, I don't want you to cower down. I want you to say, man, thank God I'm in a place that loves me enough. I'll connect you with relationship, get you people to talk to. I'll marry you right after service. You find me. We'll come right down here. And in Jesus, like I, the state of Louisiana says I can. I'm all over it. I would rather you build a life on God's foundation than build a life on the past decisions that you've made. When I say you can be a new creation, that's what I'm talking about. You don't have to fall into that. In order to speak the truth, though, what do we have to do? We have to know the truth. We have to add knowledge to our Christian character or we'll struggle to keep it. We have to be intentional. C.H. Spurgeon said this, God sends every bird his food, but he doesn't throw it into the nest. Takes effort, doesn't it? How many of you have been a Christian for a long time? Takes effort. Takes effort to mature. In 1970, Glinda and Robert Lennon, true story, took their 21-foot boat off the coast of Florida for a little bit of fishing and snorkeling and spearfishing and all of that. They went only two miles off the shore when Glinda decided to grab a mask and go swimming. I think she had a spear in her hand and was going to try to spearfish a little bit. By her recollection, she swam maybe 8, 12 feet away from the boat. And as she looked up, the boat was a lot further away from that. She found herself caught in a tide. She's not the greatest swimmer. I mean, she can swim, but she's not the greatest. So she struggled and called out to the boat. And Robert, being a champion swimmer, didn't even think about it. He just jumped in the water to go and rescue her. And both of them got caught in this tide, and they couldn't get back to the boat. The boat's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So they devised a plan. Here's what they were going to do. Robert said, I think I can make it back to the boat. If you'll just stay here and stay afloat, I'll go get the boat, and I'll come back and get you. It took him six hours hours to swim to the boat and by the time he got to the boat it was dark and she was nowhere to be found true story you can go look this up true story he goes back looks for her looks for her looks for her gets some help goes back 20 hours later they find her still afloat what a miracle number one okay remember what i told you how far off the coast they went Some of y'all are paying attention. Two miles, 21 miles offshore, they found her. Isn't that crazy? Here's the moral of the story for us Christians, though. We're swimming in a current that wants to sweep us out to sea along with the rest of society. And the Christian who just drifts through life isn't floating in place. You're actually losing ground. You're losing ground. You'll become more and more like this world unless you make every effort like what Peter is talking about. Look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. And when we do, he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water 
the earth. No matter how long you've been born again, your spiritual life will feel dry and distant if you're not working to grow in your knowledge of God. You got to make every effort, Peter says, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Here's, here's what he's saying. If you aren't making an effort to grow, you'll be blind in two areas. You'll be blind looking behind you, right? You'll be blind. You'll, you'll forget what God's done in your life. You'll, you won't see the things of the past. You'll, you'll fall right back into those same things. But here's also where you'll be blind. You'll be blind in front of you. All these promises, all these things that you know and you read about it and you see in God's word seem farther and farther away because Christianity is harder and harder to live if you're not making every effort. That's what he's saying. He said, you're going to be so blind, you'll continue to trip up over the same things. No place to look forward to and no idea how you got here. Pastor Don, how do I make every effort to grow in the right kind of knowledge. Some of you are going to see this one coming. Here's number one for you. You need to learn to read your Bible. You're going to be hearing this a lot from me. The difference that went in my life from being academically smart to being life wisdom smart had to do with this book. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but when I was in college, I was stuck between two churches and didn't know which one I needed to be a part of. One I had grown up in, and the other, God had really started to move in my life. And I didn't know how to reconcile the two. So I knew both of them said they believed this book. So I got up as a college student every morning, 6 o'clock. And I downloaded the statement of faith from this denomination and the statement of faith from this one. And I put my Bible and a yellow pad right in the middle. And I went line by line. They said that. Where is it in the book? They said that. Where is it in the book? And in that process, it took me well over a year, God changed me. And it wasn't that statement of faith in that church, and it wasn't that statement of faith in that church. What was it that actually changed me? It was this book. It was being here in the Word. Well, Pastor Don, how much of it should I read? It depends. How much of this world do you want to be susceptible to believing the lies from? Okay. Well, Pastor Don, how often should I read? Answer? Every day. I used to tell people, every day, every day. Not like every day, skip a day. No, every day, every day doing that. Number one, learn to read your Bible. Take on this knowledge. It'll help you. Here's number two, learn to read books. Oh, I know I lost some people right there. <laughs> Pastor Don, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. Man, I'm so proud of a conversation that was relayed back to me. I had given uh, men, one of the men, men in our church, I'd given him a book. He was talking to a friend about it, and uh, the friend said, man, are you, are you going gonna to read that? I mean, I know you don't, you don't really read. And uh, he said, well, Pastor Don told me that leaders are readers, so I'm going to figure it out. God's called me to lead, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read in order to do that. And listen, I get it. There are, there are some with learning disabilities that have never learned to read, but that's very few. That's a very small minority of people. For the majority of people who aren't readers, and I'll do the air quotes, right, aren't readers, here's the reason why you're not a reader. And listen, I love you. You just haven't developed a discipline to sit still long enough to read. You'll sit, st you'll sit still in a deer stand. Hey, 
and never budge while they're doing your nails. I told them. I told them to buckle up, Brad. I did. I told them to buckle up. You can sit for hours watching a football game. And you can sit for hours scrolling on your phone. You can sit still while watching a movie. Yeah, but that's different. You're right. Those are all forms of amusement. Do you know what amusement is? Look at this. Amusement. Uh means not. Muse means think. Amusement means not thinking. I'm just trying to help you. I am. Pastor Don, you don't understand I'm struggling. Yeah, because you don't have the knowledge it takes to live the life that God wants you to live. It's right here in this book. And listen, all those amusement things are fun. I love a good football game. I'll watch hours of baseball over the course of a season. But listen, they aren't helping you add knowledge that will help you fight the drift. If anything, they're contributing to it. Listen, I'm not going to be the kind of pastor that just makes you feel bad about hunting or getting your nails done. I'm going to help you. I want you to grab a book. Grab a book and a timer. We're going to get real practical here. Grab a book. Pastor Don, I'm not a reader. You don't understand. That's fine. Grab a book and a timer. The issue is not your reading. It's your patience. Grab a book and a timer. I want you to set that timer for 10 minutes. It doesn't even matter if you remember what you read. Initially, you probably won't. Our goal is just to develop discipline. Sit there with a book, your eyes on the words. You can read it if you want to, but that's not what we're working on. We're working on 10 minutes of sitting there. And when 10 minutes is over, I want you to set the timer for two minutes, and I want you to stand up, walk around, and do something different, and then do it again. And then you're going to find yourself being able to go 15 minutes and being able to go 20 minutes. Listen, you're not a reader because you can't read. You're not a reader because you can't sit down. Is this okay? Is this, I can bring this in church? Okay. We'll find out how much you love me if you come back next week. But while I got you here, I'm going to keep going. Learn to read your Bible. Learn to read books. Here's the third one. Learn to read people. What are you talking about, Pastor Don? What do you mean? Everyone has a story. Ask someone theirs. Be in relationship. One of the first questions I'll ask you when I meet you is, hey, do you know anybody else here? Why? Because just coming to church doesn't help you as much as being in relationship with other people. you got to discover things about them that you don't know. I've grown so much in my relationship. Man, Kayla and I, when we do small groups at our house, there are things that we would grow and learn from the stupid things that other people would do. And I'm grateful for those. And listen, there are stupid things that I've done that I want people to learn from as well. But how amazing is it that we don't have to learn through our own experiences? Y'all do know there's two kinds of wisdom, right? Wisdom from above and wisdom from your behind. I don't want you to have to go through life learning everything from the hard knocks of life. I want you to be in relationship with other people so that you can say, man, I'm struggling with this. What did you do? You've got to learn to read people. And I'm crazy enough to think that God has such a concern for how you're living and the way things go that he'll put people in your life in various places in various seasons to give you everything you need. But if you're not learning to read people, if you're not learning to do life with other people, you're going to miss out on some of the knowledge that God has for you. Are you with me? It takes a balance of humility and curiosity. Man, I tell you, I'm especially interested in people that are older than me 
and people that are younger than me. Those older than me have been through more life. They've learned things. They've seen things. They've, they've put everything into perspective. And I can get 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years of experience in just a few sentences if I'll ask the right question. And those younger than me, they're walking through this world with a different perspective than I have. This world is different. And if I'm going to keep helping people, I need to understand where they are. I need to understand what's going on and what some of the struggles are. I need to be available. I don't want to be stuck just trying to stay afloat. I want to be making effort to grow in my knowledge. Y'all with me today? Salvation is a free gift, but maturity takes effort. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes today. This journey, this spiritual journey that we're talking about, this relationship with God, it starts off with an appetite. And maybe you're hearing for the first time you have a desire for the things of God that you haven't had before. We call that faith. Faith doesn't start with you. It's actually a gift from God. But the next step on this spiritual journey is to recognize your sinfulness and your need for a Savior. And when we do, we can ask God for the gift of repentance. What is that? It's, it's the ability to stop and turn away from our sin and turn to God. And when we stop and we turn from our sin through repentance, the next step is to trust Jesus. The Bible teaches that you don't have to fully intellectually understand Christianity in order to trust Jesus. Just like you don't have to understand the mechanics of an airplane in order to get on, fly across the country, and trust that it will get you to your final destination. It isn't blind faith. It's, it's trust. And it's trusting in Jesus that brings you the third gift. And that gift is the gift of eternal life. And if you've received God's gift of faith the gift of an appetite for the things of God, then you can ask for the gift of repentance, the ability to stop where you're headed and receive the ability to turn toward God. If you've received that gift of repentance, then you can trust in Jesus to get you to the kind of life that he has always had for you. You might have heard me say it this way, A, B, C. A, admit, B, believe, C, confess. A, admit that you've made some choices, some decisions that have separated you from God, but you've got an appetite for him that you've never had before. What do I do with that, Pastor Don? You ask God to give you the ability to repent. It's a gift of repentance. God, will you give me the ability to stop and turn toward you? And once you make that decision, once you receive that, then you believe and you believe that God sent Jesus, that through him walking with you, through him walking in all that he did, he lived a life that you couldn't live to pay a debt you couldn't pay. And once you believe and place your trust in Jesus, not, not that you got to know everything first, but that God will help you, that Jesus will help you every step of the way, then you confess him as Lord. And here's what I think is happening today. I think there's some people who came to church today because you've had an appetite for the things of God. I don't claim to know what's going on in your life. I don't claim to know how easy or how hard it is. But I do think you and I can agree on this. God is trying to get your attention. That appetite is called faith. And I want to encourage you to take the next step while I'm talking. I think you've probably done it already. And it's repent. 
God, I recognize that what you have for me is not what I'm doing. And God, if you'll help me, I'll stop. And I won't just stop. I'll turn in the opposite direction and I'll go straight toward you. I'm ready to trust in Jesus. I've been trusting in my own knowledge and that hasn't gotten me anywhere. I've been trusting in things that I could see and touch and taste and feel. And it's left me. I've been trusting in my own emotions. I've been doing the things that feel right. But I now know today I need to do the things that are right. And if you're here today, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that Jesus would become the Lord of your life, that you'd give him the leadership role to your life. And if you're here with every every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I want to know who I'm praying with today. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you'd like me to pray with you today to be born again, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you right there where you're sitting to raise your hand and look up at me so I can see you all across this room. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, both of you. Once I acknowledge you, you can put your hand down. Everybody else, leave them up so I can see you. Hey, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see you two in the back row. Proud of you. I see your hand. I see your hand. All across the floor. I'm about to move up to the balcony. I see your hand. see your hand too. I'm so proud of the decision that you're making. One more time and then we'll pray. Anybody else? Pastor Don, I didn't raise my hand before, but I want to. Raise your hand and look up at me. I see your hand. I'm so glad you're here. I see your hand too. And what an incredible moment that God would capture our attention so much to bring us to a point. Some of you here need to remember this moment needs to remind you of the moment, the decision you made years ago. How fresh and how new it was till the cares of this world have choked you out and got you worried about some things that you need to begin to trust God with again. Those of you that raised your hand, be born again. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. The very fact that you could raise your hand this morning shows me that God has brought a new creation to your life. But I want everybody to say this prayer with me out loud, especially those of you that raise your hand. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with all those who were born again.